The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. All right, welcome back. So what we'll do now is address a different framework for thinking about renunciation. And we've talked about the external and the internal or the material and the mental, those kind of different realms of renunciation. And now I'd like to turn more towards seeing renunciation specifically as an intention, as we've talked about a number of times today. And so talk about it in terms of its near and far enemies and other potential challenges that can come up with the practice of renunciation. So the mind is very tricky. (laughs) And as we take on something like renunciation practice, um, we have to have some way of checking ourselves and make sure that we're actually... Um, fulfilling that intention and not, you know, the mind is going to try to get what it wants anyway and so we can do things that are not quite renunciation, like Ruby described some examples of not being in the spirit of what she intended originally, and that wasn't deliberate it was just her mind you know, finding a way to go down that familiar groove that it wanted to and then you have to sort of get wise to that and say, oh, I see what you're trying to do so let's talk about you know, um, different kind of different approaches and challenges that can happen when we undertake a renunciation practice. So clearly there are what are called far enemies of a given intention. So for example, it's often said that the far enemy of metta or goodwill is ill will. You know, and so that's sort of obvious. And so in the same way, there are far enemies of renunciation like sensual indulgence or uh, cruelty or uh, power-seeking in the world. So these sort of you know, normal behaviors <laughs> in the regular society, or, um, but things that would obviously be counter to renunciation. So we can understand those at first. But then that maybe sheds a little bit of light on the what are called the near enemies, which are things that maybe look like uh, renunciation, but aren't quite true to it underneath. Like so, for example, in the case of metta, it's sometimes said that attachment is uh, can look like love in certain ways or goodwill, and so what we're actually not—it's not a free kind of. Uh, loving kindness that we're offering, but one that fav- still has some favoritism to it. So in the case of renunciation, what might we say are near enemies? So these include, um, I've just listed a few, and we may think of others, because I don't think there's an official list of these anywhere. We should write one, huh? Um, one could be uh, passivity or quietude or indifference. So, you know, we say, I'm going to renounce the world, and what we really mean is, I'm not going to deal with it. (laughs) You know, I'm going to shut the door and uh, just pretend it's not out there. And so some some kind of denial, in a sense. And so uh, this could go along with an identity of, I've given up the world, or I'm, you know, too good to get involved in all that stuff. I'm above the fray, in a sense. So there can be um, some of that. I think there can be um, laziness or sloth and torpor that can go with what we call renunciation, and you know we're 
we're actually just not um, making an effort in a certain way to meet or address challenges in the world. So there's an annoying, an obnoxious person and we just say, I'm going to, I'm just going to let go of being annoyed, but we're really kind of suppressing it in a sense and we're not, um, you know, we're not willing to meet what's arising. Some forms of stinginess uh, can masquerade as renunciation. So, you know, I'm letting go of all my material goods. Well, actually, I'm just cheap, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it's, so there's, you know, there's, there can be that aspect, you know, I, I'm, I'm not handling money, so I'm not, I'm not giving Donna at any of the groups I go to. <laughs> it's like, might want to check on that one, you know. Um, I'm trying, yeah, I'm trying not to use so much money, something like that. Um, or stinginess with, with ourselves, you know, check underneath. Are you not buying a new item of clothing because you're a renunciate? Or is it because somehow you think you don't, I don't want to use the word deserve, but, you know, somehow it's like I'm not worth that. I, I don't, you know, I don't want to treat myself well in a certain way. I don't want to um, have, you know, have any clothes that look good. I'm, I'm inspired by the rag robes that are picked up in cemeteries that mona- monastics are supposed to wear. So this leads into maybe aspects of self-diminishment, uh, which can also masquerade as someone doing a renunciation practice. It's more about, you know, I want to make sure I don't have a projected ego in the world, so I'm always going to be passive, demure, um, Oren talked about how this is very much dependent on our conditioning, what's actually skillful. Um, I read a very interesting book one time. It wasn't um, in the Buddhist tradition, uh, examining different kinds of um, kind of cult- spiritual, cultural habits that were supposed to be uh, good to develop. And they almost all center on letting go of the ego in some way. But most of them were about um, what Oren was mentioning, you know, bowing and being very self diminishing and demure and um, self-effacing and so forth. And the author was a feminist and her analysis was that this is what men need. (laughs) And that, you know, for women, (laughs) um, there might be different practices around how to hold the self and um, our conceit and our way of being in the world. And so we might want to look at if we're renouncing by always just kind of pulling back and not being involved and um, being very quiet because this is part of my renunciation practice. What about renouncing um, not being involved? <laughs> you know, renouncing um, this kind of self diminishment. And finally, I put on the list uh, spiritual bypass. So, this is the idea of, again, it's about avoidance, about hiding in a spiritual identity in order to not address our, even our own very real psychological issues or um, challenges in relationships and just saying, well, now I'm a renunciate, so I'm not, um, I'm not going to deal with these kinds, like with, you come to me with a challenge, I'm not going to deal with it because I've, you know, I've decided not to talk about those things with people because I'm trying to practice wise speech or something. And so you hide behind... Uh, words that you've heard in the tradition, but you're kind of interpreting based on the way you want to be, not the way, not the spirit of what those were intended as. So we have to remember that the purpose is is letting go, letting go of our habitual ways of being. (laughs) 
and our habitual desires and wants and we're not picking and choosing um, or pulling back from addressing those things. I'll add as a caveat that there are normal stages of the path where a person seeks seclusion and encounters uh, disenchantment and dispassion with the world and a genuine, you know, turning away and just sickening with, of, you know, what is uh, the normal way of being. So that can be a normal part of the progress. Um, but we don't want to take that on as an identity. That unfolds naturally. So this points toward kind of the global concept of making renunciation a concept and solidifying it uh, as... Um, not as something that we do moment to moment. Oh, anger is arising, so I, you know, that's what I need to let go of at this moment. But sort of holding on to this idea of letting go. You know, so renunciation is the first of the three right intentions. So great, you know, that's that now becomes um, a concept that we think we're doing or that we paint as a blanket over our experience, and not actually uh, being in touch with what's arising and passing moment to moment. Something is arising, it's unwholesome, let go of it. Don't go with that. Something is passing away that's pleasant, let go of it at that moment. That's the practice moment to moment, not some kind of a concept that we would paint onto, onto experience. So here is um, some criticism offered from a monastic. Actually, it's a Zen uh, monastic. It's a teacher named John Dido Lori, who is a Zen monk. And he's talking, of course, about the Zen community, where I mentioned very briefly at the beginning that there are, uh, there's the possibility of taking lay ordination um, in a Zen community. So you can be a lay person, you can be lay ordained, or you can be monastic, a priest ordained. And so he doesn't like this idea, though. He's, um, and so what he says, is there's some interesting ideas in what he says. Most of the lay practice that goes on among new converts in America is a slightly watered-down version of monastic practice, and most of the monastic practice is a slightly glorified version of lay practice. At most Zen centers, frequently, nobody can tell the difference between a monastic and a lay person except for the way they dress. Monastics wear black robes, and lay practitioners wear robes of another color. Most American monastics live in the world not in monasteries. These are, again, Zen monastics. They don't shave their heads. They don't take vows any different from the vows that lay practitioners take. This results in ambiguity and confusion. To me, this hybrid path, halfway between monasticism and lay practice, reflects our cultural spirit of greediness and consumerism. With all the possibilities, why give up anything? (laughs) We want it all. Why not do it all? So this is the flip side, right? We say, oh, the middle way, it's so nice. We can have the benefits of monasticism and, you know, the benefits of the lay life. Oh, I can have both. Great. <laughs> you know, so this is another thing to check. Uh, is it feeding our desire not to really commit <laughs> to one or the other or not to really choose um, which path we're taking? So, um, you know, a good check in the mind is just uh, how clear we are on what we're doing and again, going back to the intention, what, was the, what is the intention in undertaking something like this? Um, pointing to ambiguity and confusion, I think, also then gives us a little bit of a check. You know, if we undertake what we're thinking is a lay renunciate practice, and we find after a couple months that somebody says to us, so what's your practice? We can't 
answer that very clearly or we start getting confused about um, we get very entangled in whether something is right or not right and we're not we're no longer feeling in ourself you know this is this makes sense to me this feels on alignment with my intention if we sort of lost that check um, then that's a sign that we've kind of gone into our head or that we're not clear on what we're doing so there's some need for caution and mindfulness and care in how we undertake a practice of lay renunciation. Um, a second, you know, all I had, like any practice, it can become subject to our mind's uh, tricky maneuvers of clinging and ignorance. And maybe a second piece of that is to tie in with something that Oren said about needing to have wisdom about how we choose what to renounce and how to renounce. And so it... Um, it's not necessarily obvious that the very first thing we would do is give up all our money and, you know, uh, let go of our job when we're supporting our family, for example. Uh, so there are stages of renunciation that we might want to undertake based on what's appropriate in our life at the time. So here are a few things that... Um, I think might be helpful in thinking about how to be wise about our renunciation. Um, The first is to frame renunciation as a letting go into, not just a letting go of. And this is, again, something that Oren pointed towards with there, you know, there needs to be a support in place before we uh, let go of something. So you don't just let go over the precipice. It's that something has been built up and so the letting go can be more natural. There's something there, there's compassion, there's patience, there's one of the other paramis in place um, that can uh, support our heart, provide inspiration, uh, provide that steadiness of effort that's going to keep us on our intention when we let go of something. So letting go into, not just letting go of. I think a group context or a community is very helpful. This was also mentioned. So that's actually what we're doing right here. <laughs> we have a group of people right here in this room who's all interested in this idea. We may not be ready to go to the monastery and become an Anagarika, um, but that's okay. We've met maybe several people today, and we're going to have a chance again after this for some discussion groups to um, find others that are interested in going against the mainstream of society and also um, you know practice centers like IMC in general are places where we can meet other people that are interested in the same thing this has um, two prongs to the benefit one is that we get support for doing something that's unusual and not not supported out in what we see in the media and other other things and then the other is that there can be a check and balance. If we're starting to get imbalanced, uh, it's very helpful to have other people who are also doing lay renunciation practice say, you know what, what you're doing is you might check your intention or it's not, you know, this feedback idea. Um, you know, you might want to look at, so, or you can ask people, you know, I've been practicing renouncing novels for a little while can you check on me in two months and ask if I'm reading one something like that so you can have uh, somebody else checking in on you and making sure that your path is still uh, in alignment with your intention because we're not totally wise we need others on the path by definition we're not completely wise or we wouldn't be here (laughs) so 
And then finally to remember that one of the best things to let go of is fixed views. <laughs> so whatever view we we're having about what we're doing at this time, um, whatever our, we think our practice is or whatever we think, uh, however we're framing, don't solidify that. It's going to be different. We heard earlier, you know, that uh, somebody mentioned that renunciation seems to change for her over time. And in that same way, we can... Uh, we can start to see that every view we form around whatever we think we're doing on the path is that that's probably, maybe it's necessary at that time, but after we've let go of a few more things, we'll have a different idea of what's going on. And it's natural to let go of our previous, or even our previous conception of how we were practicing in order to uh, practice another way in the future. So this is a um, just a little check or warning to think about as you're doing renunciation practice that it might be helpful to um, have some wisdom around it and every now and then do a check like maybe every now and then sit down and list your intentions again and check oh am I really abiding by those or am I going too far with some of them you know I've I thought I was renouncing um, unwise speech, but actually the result of it is that I haven't had a conversation with my partner for the last two weeks about anything of substance, you know. So, you know, check on whether or not things are still in balance. Let's say it that way. Okay, so we're going to have um, some more opportunity now to discuss in small groups. And there's still pretty many people here. Let's um, let's again do groups of four. I think that's it was a good number. So why don't you get in groups first, and then I'll give you the question. Okay. All right. So everyone has a group. So the question that we'll be talking about for the next hmm, fifteen, no, twenty minutes is what feels most relevant to you right now to take up as a renunciation practice in your life and how can you connect with others around this? So what feels most relevant to take up as renunciation practice or to let go of in your life and how could you connect with others around this? All right, feel free to come back to some uh, sitting configuration here. So this is, again, a time to share uh, anything that came up that you would like to um, offer to the group. The other groups didn't get to hear your amazing and deep discussion and uh, neither did we, so it would be great if you could, um, if you want to offer anything. And also, since Oren and I are both here, you can, uh, you can ask anything to Oren that you want also. Anyone?
there any themes that came out in groups? Mm -hmm. After this day long, <laughs> which I really am glad I came to and I wanted to, I'm starting to feel like right this at this moment that I don't have a specific thing to relinquish. Um, I mean, the practice, I'm committed to the practice. I have been for a long time, a while. Um, I do the best I can. It's not that everything's perfect or I couldn't, but I really give it my best effort. And I, at this moment, I don't know what thing I would relinquish. I'm doing the best I can here. So that's my thought at this moment. When I hear that, the first thing that I um, notice is that you said, what thing to relinquish? Mm -hmm. So you were focusing on the object of relinquishment is there anything that might be happening in the mind? You know, no, I not actually focusing meant so much it, on the object. I meant yeah. it because even mentally, um, I more and more I try to take it off the cushion and pay attention in my daily. So I meant the whole package. Mm. Okay, great. Maybe it will reveal itself at some point. The the other side of that that comes up for me is it's also like we look at right effort, the four right efforts that. Half of that, right, is about noticing and and celebrating and increasing the good wholesome states that are present. Mm -hmm. So you know maybe something that you could do, so to speak, out of this day long is notice the places where you are letting go, where there is renunciation, and just continue to to support the conditions for that strengthening. Yeah. I think for me, um, what I would really, what I'd really like to renounce is craving. <laughs> but um, trying to be aware is um, something that I think is is really important. Um, one of the things that I mentioned in our group is when the chocolates came out over here. <laughs> you know, I had some of the chocolates, and I was sitting here after we had started up again, and my mind went to oh, I want some more chocolates. I'm going to grab a big handful when I'm done. And then I go, oh, look at where you are. You're at a renunciation, you know, uh, meaning let's just set it down. And and the awareness was really great because it just kind of dissipated, you know. And um, to just look at the mind instead of it just running me as a, a habit that I would normally do. So that that was nice. Um, I guess my I have more of a, a reflection as I'm thinking about like what this means in my life and in my practice because a lot of like what kind of came up as I'm like reflecting okay how am I gonna do I want to practice more renunciation and how is that gonna look um, is like 
you know, I have, a, a, I'm very devoted to the practice. And so I can see how alive and like how there's a lot of effort in like paying attention and kind of letting go in certain places of my life. And so I guess like what's the difference between um, kind of the regular day-to-day -day practice and kind of taking on renouncing like um, a more, I, I, f I do feel like I have a sense of like having a little more discipline and maybe a little more commitment okay, say I'm going to renounce this or I'm going to be working with this and kind of um, having some accountability. But I guess I'm still I still am questioning internally like exactly how that's going to look for me or wh what I want or what's alive um, to maybe to something that's maybe calling for a little more effort right now. So One of the things that one of my teachers renounced for a while was complaining. So both internally and externally. So that's, that's, that just kind of opens up a whole other realm, right? Like we can renounce a certain mental habit. You know, like maybe it's not complaining. Maybe it's like feeling sorry for ourselves. You know, like we go there a lot. And so we say like, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. For the next week, for the next month, not going to do that. And every time the mind goes there, it's like, nope, not going to do it. And put the mind somewhere else. So that can be... You know, like when we when we look around, it's like you know, like I'm living pretty simply. I'm doing my practice. That those can be other ways that we can uncover territory to. Yeah. the step of adding something to my life. I'll try the um, five precepts for a week and um, then decide what to do with them. Um, and I'd like to get into um, doing something special on the four phases of the moon. Um, like most of the people in my group, it hasn't solidified yet. <laughs> That's wonderful. Whenever I think about the precepts, I always like to also frame them, and we, many, you know, we all talk about this, but just to name it again that as trainings, rather than as rules, so that it's, it's that it's an investigation and an exploration. So they're meant to be like to create a boundary, to create like a structure of a playing field, and then you see what happens when you go outside of that boundary, and then instead of beating ourselves up for it or saying, oh, I can't do this or this doesn't work, or then it just becomes a, a, a tool for self-reflection. It's like, oh, wow, look at that, you know? I was not going to do that, and I did. And what's that about? Well, you know, what's that, what's that about, really? And what can I learn from that? And, and how do I want to do it next time? I'm sensing that the energy is getting a little low in the room. <laughs> and um, it's great. Actually, I like the idea that we're going to draw near the end based on your contributions and what you, know, what you were sharing. And the fact that it may or may not feel crystallized, clear, etc. 
um, is actually kind of good, <laughs> I'm going to say, in that um, the areas of our practice where we don't have a lot of clarity, where we run into something that feels like, I don't quite know how to work with this, that's actually where you're supposed to be working. <laughs> it's, it's those areas, um, like the Pima Chodron quote that says, you get to the edge of what makes sense to you and then soften. So you get to the edge of what um, feels like you can let go of or what you feels like you understand in terms of the precept practice and then just rest there and see what might open uh, the light of awareness shining on that block of ice that we can't get through eventually melts it in some way. So maybe the fi- I'll take this as an opportunity to transition into the final framework that I wanted to offer for renunciation, um, which is that of prescriptive and descriptive. So we've talked a lot today about how to practice renunciation in a deliberate way, how to decide, I'm not going to do this anymore, or I'm going to guard the sense doors in a certain way, or I'm going to, um, whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to. So there's a sense of, this is prescriptive, it's something that I, sh- I want to do, I should do, I'm pointing my intention toward doing. And then there's um, what happens after you've worked with that for a while, is that you look back, there comes a point where you look back and you say, oh, you know, I, I haven't felt sorry for myself. I, I originally said, you know, two weeks I wasn't going to feel sorry for myself. Or I wasn't going to let the mind go there. And then a month later you realize you haven't, you haven't even thought about that for a week. It's like it just, um, it becomes a description. started out as a prescription, but it becomes a description of how your mind is. It doesn't do that anymore. Now, if only if it were, if it were that simple for something like feeling sorry for ourselves, it might take more than a month. But... I want to offer this as actually a profound process. It's something that we notice again and again in our practice, but this is actually the unfolding of the path. The practices that the Buddha offers, or say, for example, the monastic lifestyle, is prescriptive. The form is given, the 211, 27 rules or whatever are given at this point. That's what we have. And one practices them deliberately. And then at some point you're not really practicing them anymore. You've grown into that form and it becomes the way you are. It said the same thing about the Eightfold Path. For sure, there's effort in cultivating those factors and uh, developing them and seeing where they go. And then uh, a description of an awakened person is one who is the Eightfold Path. You know, they've, that's what they are. That's just how they are, their whole way of being. And so I think this kind of internal consistency of what we intend and what we move toward ends up being what we become and can look back at. Um, And then there's this disappearance of internal, external, past, future. Uh, This is is freedom. This is the alignment with the Dharma, about giving our lives to the Dharma. And that's what we were asked to do. You know, and taking on this kind of practice. So I wish you very well in taking things on deliberately, but then notice those times when you look back and they're there. My goodness, they're there. So 
this kind of internal external consistency or prescriptive descriptive consistency I think is something that can happen in lay practice just as much as in the monastic form can we invent ways of doing lay renunciation that have that same progression that what we intend ends up what we end up becoming so um, we're all doing it everyone in this room who's talked about what they're working on is contributing to that process and I think it's very beautiful so I think that uh, doesn't exactly wrap up the topic (laughs) but maybe it's been a good exploration through various different ways of seeing this and so forth today Um, that really concludes what I had to offer but I want to leave it open now for anybody to give any final comments and for Oren to, to close and we'll call it a good day together I'll say one more thing at the end, but this is your time now. One thing that I've often gotten benefit from in groups like this at the end of a day is to hear from as many people as are willing, willing to share a word or a phrase that you're leaving with. You know, what's, what's a nugget that you're taking away that really landed, that really connected for you? And to be generous in, in taking the, the risk to offer something because you don't know what you say might be someone else's nugget. Like they might be waiting for you to hear the piece that you say that then is going to connect for them too. So that, that might be just a nice invitation to just bring all of our voices and particularly maybe those who haven't spoke to just share a word or a phrase that's really connected with you that you're leaving with. Yeah, anything that would help the day feel complete, Kim said. So we could just maybe pass the mic around and you can and feel free to pass if you don't want to if you don't want to share. Relax. Gratitude. Moving forward. Reflective. Intention. Uh, Interconnection. One is uh, investigate, test, and then investigate again. Pushing your own edge. Pushing your own edge, finding your edge and pushing that. And becoming a more full, I guess. Uh, renunciation as a choice. Letting go. Um, that Meninjaji quote from the cover that I forget. What is it? Living a life, the Dhamma is living, um, living your life, living the life fully, the life fully, yeah. Allowables. <laughs> uh, material, internal, and intention. Choices. Freedom. 
on on content, but also just again, I think Meninger, I think um, America sold out of the books she brought. But you can get it. You can get it online, hard copy, or even an e copy. And so I just wanted to just again, it's such a great book. So. Okay, so we're coming to the close of our day. Um, Ruby and Mirka had to leave a little bit early, and I'm saying that for the benefit of the recording. <laughs> um, but many of us stayed the whole day, which is very inspirational to me. And I would just like us to conclude by um, dedicating and sharing the merit of what we did today. So just sitting quietly for a moment and collecting back into yourself into the body, maybe feeling the breath, and just reflecting back over the day and your good intention in coming here for the day, and knowing that what we've done today is going to benefit others in our interactions with them, in our own practice, and actually making that an intention. And so intending that any merit that came from our effort today, from our conversations with people, from our reflection on this topic, may that merit be shared in some way with those that we know and are close to us, those that we encounter, on the way home, the rest of the day, and even those uh, who are farther out, where the effect is going to spread to them indirectly, really knowing and feeling that our intentions carry so far, that we're interconnected with all the beings. in wishing that all beings may find the benefits of this practice, find happiness and peace in their lives. May all beings be happy, peaceful, and free. <laughs>